0: Give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. And believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles.
1: What is good, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. It's Corey and Albert from the Draft DraftTAC, NBA Draft Podcast. Um... Albert, we're here today. Longtime listener, first time caller. Uh,
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Mike. Uh, we got Nick from Staten Island <laughs> calling <laughs> in about the ranges.
2: Let me tell, let me play something about the ranges, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got our guy Nick from
1: noceilingsmba.com. Nick, what's going on, man?
2: Hey, uh, first time caller. Uh, first time, long time. Uh, that- <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Enough with that. Uh, Uh It's awesome to be on to talk to you guys tonight about some draft stuff. And I know that the player we're going to be talking about today is certainly someone that we are all very excited about over in the No Ceilings family. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. It's exciting to
1: have you. Um, If you haven't yet, just before we get into all the work to plug, I hope everybody checked out Nick's piece on what made him write about the NBA draft because it was a fantastic piece. Um, and, and this is a we got a, a, a new, an all New York podcast going on right now. Even though you guys have migrated to California, <laughs> we got our uh, a New York pod going on Same to point. talk about one Malachi Branham from Ohio State. Uh, Branham just turned 19. Young player in this draft, listed at 6'5 half with a 6'10 wingspan, 13.7 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.7 turnovers, 0.7 steals, 0.3 blocks per game, shot 49.8% from the field, 41.6% from three, 83.3% from the free throw line. True shooting percentage, 59.6%, nearly 60% as a freshman, not too shabby per of 20.4. Brandon was not a preseason uh, draft stock guy, not really on the radar. Although he uh, did go to LeBron James's St. Vincent, St. Mary high school. He, he was very much not on the preseason radar, but currently resides at 13 on ESPN uh, 11 on the athletic 21 on Tankathon, twelve on Basketball News, eight on Bleacher Report, fifteen on Sports Illustrated, twenty-two on The Ringer, and twelve on the latest No Ceilings Big Board that we released earlier this week. That's an average stock price of fourteen point two five. Currently ranked at fourteen on the Draft Deck. So, Nick, I'll start with you as our guest. Is Malachi Brandham
2: stock price too high, too low, or is it just right? This is funny to me because I was someone who I think bought into Brandon a little bit earlier than some people this season. Yeah. I thought about him as a sleeper deep dives guy in around January, wrote about him as a sleeper right before yep. he stopped being a sleeper anymore. So yep. yeah, that was sort of interesting. And it's been very weird to sort of be in a space ever since then where it seems like everybody else's evaluation of him has been sort of zooming past mine. Because I have him at 14 and, you know, I I think he's a clear lottery guy. I think his stock is in the right place, given that I have him at 14 and he was 14 on the draft deck. But (laughs) it has been very interesting to sort of see, you know, as he started catching on fire in, you know, January, February, that, you know, a lot of other people were like, oh, this is, you know, a top tier prospect This is someone who might want to consider for the top 10. And I don't have him as quite a top 10 guy, but I definitely do buy in, especially just you know, given how much more of an offensive role he took on over the course of the season at Ohio State, and given how well he did with that role, given, again, that you already mentioned that he just turned 19. Albert, where are you at with him?
0: Um, I'm at a weird place with him. I feel like 14 is just right, um, just because, as Nick said, he's clearly a lottery pick. I actually have him 10th on my board, and then as I was looking at my board today, I was like, am I sure I want him at 10? Um, so I don't know. I question my board every damn day. I kind of hate it, uh, but I also love it because I think I'm smart, but I also hate it because I think I'm dumb. So that gif that I use all the time uh, on Twitter really, I think, expresses how I feel. But anyway, okay, so with, with Branham, I'm with you. We just recorded a pod with uh Hawks Draft Simon, Simon Rath, and he said something really interesting. He was like, dude, uh, if we if we gave our evaluations on Branham after 12 games, what the hell would that look like? And I thought that was a really good point because when he first started off, he had a really tough early straight. Well, not tough, but it just wasn't what... He didn't know, pop he really, the way exactly, that he did. Yeah, January correct. He had a really now. strong end to the season. Exactly. And you know what, Nick? I want to give you credit. So I went back to your article today and read your Deep Dives one, and I was like, Sleeper oh, Deep right. dive, Sleeper Deep dive. And I was like, oh, like... Yeah, it, it, it is funny how you were really, first off, great article. Let me give yeah, you, very kind of you, let's give you your flowers, you know, give you the love that you deserve. It was a great article. But um, overall, just yeah, looking at the stuff that you wrote in there and, you know, thinking about my evaluation of him and prepping for this pod. I do have some like questions now, uh, a little bit. Like, I did wonder, like, why did I put him so high on my board? But then at the same time, maybe I'm right for having him as high as I have him. I don't know. So I'm all over the place, but lottery sounds good to me is ultimately where what, what I feel it's a little high for me and I have had him
1: there at that 4 I've had him in that 14 ish range. Even I think I had him at 13, maybe 12 at at certain points. Uh, But ultimately when I really, really dove in his film today, I found some things where I was like, maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit before crowning him this perfect prospect that everybody seemingly talks about you know like people don't there's not a lot of critiques on Malachi Branham's game on the internet as of right now uh but there are certainly things that we need to talk about before we get into them uh let's head to the chat appreciate you all rocking with us live the streets are buzzing Nick's at 11 emoji eye
2: stock stock going up uh no the Uh, the the kings I'm actually at four for the Kings.
1: Mino F. Salute fellas, keep doing y'all thing. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh Josh the Pels fan, future teammate of Darius Garland, Malachi Branham. Uh Cesar Ramirez, my dudes. Efron Lopez. Personally, I think he's a fine prospect, but people are reaching on him a little bit with the top 10 talk. So let's That's me. let's yeah, let's uh let's try to get into it a little bit. But before we do, I'm going to give you all 10 imaginary dollars. Although we go. You know, we go. there was a lot of support uh, out there for us with the draft guide and our merch. So uh, maybe I could talk to Mr. Metcalf and give you guys 10 real dollars to to do this
2: exercise because we can afford uh, it Metcalf now. you going to take $10 from me. I'm going to try and find me for you, daring to ask for money on my behalf. <laughs>
1: if you had $10 to invest in Malachi Branham, Ochai baji and Jaden Hardy, how would you spend your $10, Albert? Starting with you, how you spend in your
0: $10. I don't know, Corey. What do you do in your free time that you come up with these unbelievable trios that leave me absolutely stumped <laughs> every damn week? I, I really question why you're so good at this, but um, here, here we go. Um, I have Hardy still in my top 10. So right now, as we're talking, and Corey, like you, I did the deep dive on Branham and I was like, what the F? Like there's some stuff here that I don't love, but um, OK, here we go. I'm going to try my best. So Jaden Hardy guy I still love. I think I have him eight or nine on my board. Um, I actually have him ninth. So um, with Hardy, I'll give him four bucks. Hmm. Good Lord. Is that too low? No, give him the four dollars. I don't want to be cheap here we're gonna give hardy four dollars gonna give uh Branham <sighs> oh, I hate this I hate you Corey I hate you uh, I okay okay let's ta- let me let me let me be a man here okay so hardy four okay Branham three and Agbaji three because I've really talked myself into Agbaji recently so four three three is what I'll go with
2: all right Nick. Uh, do I have to equivocate for as long, or can I just... Uh, you can ride? just give us... You, know, you don't have to. <laughs> this is a
1: constant theme with Albert. This, these questions, the $10 question always trips him up.
0: I'm cheap, yeah. that's why.
2: Wow, okay. Uh,
0: <laughs>
2: this feels wrong just saying it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. I'm going to say 5 to eggbaji, $3 to Branham, and $2 to Hardy.
1: I'm very similar.
2: Good on I have five to Agbaji. I've
1: I've moved in to, to 10 on my board. Uh, I'm, I'm back in. I'm going to give 275 oh, to Branham. Quarters. Quarters. And I'm going to give 225 to Jaden Hardy. And I think that the math checks out there. But uh, somebody in in the comments or, or watching live, you can, you can <sighs> correct me if my math's not right
0: and get the calculator out.
1: Uh hey.
0: Guys, really quickly, two seventy-five doesn't even get you on the subway anymore. Can you believe the world we live in, guys? Well, considering I just took the subway, I I
2: very much so can believe that. (laughs) This is the tragic part: is that I almost made a joke about how uh, so Hardy can't get on the subway, but then I realized, oh wait, you're only giving Oshai subway money. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody else just gotta fucking walk their way there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's talk about. the actual nitty gritty details of his game let's get into it we like to start with the shooting on the draft deck nba draft podcast so let's let's start with the shooting Mm -hmm. and considering i think uh the major strength of branham in his game let's talk about that mid-range game albert what do you like about the mid-range game
0: god What do I not love about the mid-range game? No, okay, let me calm down, all right? Uh, I like the mid-range game a lot. I like um, how fluid it is. I like how he gets to his spots pretty seamlessly. Um, I like that he can be pretty physical. getting his shot up, too. He's not, like, contact-averse, which I like. A little tough guy energy to Branham, which I like a lot. Um, I like the jump shot. I like the release is high. Uh, Looks repeatable. I like that he lives in that range because, as we know, a lot of the high-end scorers in the NBA uh, live in the mid-range, and they have to have that in their bag, and it needs to be effective. And we talk about that almost every damn pod, so I'm just repeating myself here. But with Branham, the mid-range game, I like it a lot, a lot. Is this – am am I correct, Corey, when saying – in my notes I wrote that he has a compact jumper, um is that a fair evaluation of his jump shot? Cuz that's what I wrote, but I want to make sure that you agree because you are the shot doctor here.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair yeah. way to to say it. Compact. Yeah. It's it everything is it's tight, it's repeatable. Right. Um if that's that then yeah. I think that's yeah. fair. Okay. Uh Nick, talk to me about his mid-range game. Is this should we be going uh, crazy over this, like we are. Is is there a legitimacy to that,
2: or is, is it being overrated? No, I think it's a huge part of his game and why he's a good prospect in terms of valuation going forward. I think his ability, you know, it's a lot of what Albert said is his ability to get to his spots and you know be able to muscle up shots despite any sort of contest that I think is huge for him. You know, he's also someone I'm sure we'll get into this later, but he's not exactly a Jaden Ivey level athlete. So I think that just makes it even more important that he's able to get to his shots in the mid-range with the efficacy that he does and he's able to get them up, you know, as well as he does. I think that if, you know, his athleticism were less of a concern then I think he would need to live in the mid-range a little bit less maybe than he does, but the fact that he has those shots in his bag, I think it's going to be very important for him, you know, given those slight deficiencies in the rest of his game.
1: I agree, his mid-range game is awesome. There's not mid- much to, to pick apart. Uh, other than the fact that some people will probably say he lives there a little bit too often as a shooter uh, in comparison to how often he's getting up his three-point shot. But these are the type of guys at the end of games, Like these are the type of shots that you need your ball handlers to be able to knock down. When it gets tough, can you have a guy who can get to his spot, rise up over somebody, contested, and still get their shot off in a way that they feel comfortable? And you really see... Um, how the Bucks missing Mal- uh, Chris Middleton in the playoffs affected them when they didn't have a guy who could do that. And that's a guy, you know, I think that Branham draws comps to sometimes. So I think when you look at the way he operates in the mid-range game, I think that he's got that mid-post game. So mm-hmm. he's even got like the the footwork to be able to knock down like the, yeah. the turnaround jumper and the fadeaways. Uh, It's all really intriguing stuff, especially because he could do it you know, either creating for himself or he could do it uh, off a ball screen, which, you know, kind of opens up some of the other interesting wrinkles to his game. So it's really, uh, really intriguing. Now, with his three-point shooting, and I had somebody, you know, talking to, uh, you know, a scout, and they were like, are you at all worried about the volume of three-point shots he did or did not get up? And I was like, I, I I don't think so. I think it's, it, I mean, I would like it if he was able to, if he was firing away Turkavion Smith level three-point shots at 42%, that would be great. But uh, I don't necessarily think it's a, a problem. Am I right to feel optimistic about his three-point shot long-term, even though I do think that there's going to be an adjustment for him shooting it off the bounce. I think he's going to be a sniper off ball right away uh, from behind the arc. I'm not worried, but I do think there's going to be an adjustment uh, on ball. Nick, you can go ahead. Albert's got us. He's got to stew over this question. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: well, I think part of the weirdness with sort of evaluating the volume with Brandon from three point range is he didn't really start shooting in earnest until like halfway through the season anyway. Hmm. So, you know, I think that's the kind of thing where I am a little bit worried about his relative lack of three-point volume, but that also comes with the caveat of the fact that his game the last three months of the season was very, very different from his game the first three months of the season. I think that, you know, Corey, especially as you said, off-ball right away, he's just going to have it. That's not going to be a problem for him. And certainly one would presume that his role in the NBA, at least his first couple of seasons, would be smaller than it was, you know, his last couple months at Ohio State and you know the fact that I think he was able to ramp up so quickly and adjust to the Ohio State offense with a guy in EJ Liddell being the primary guy on that offense you know I think that bodes well for his ability to sort of fit in developmentally in a variety of different contexts at the NBA level so I think that means that his three-point shooting is going to increase just because of the role that he's playing almost more than anything else so especially when coupled when that is coupled with sort of his dramatic change in role in the middle of the year, I'm not too worried about his three-point shooting volume. I would hope that, you know, by year one or year two, he's getting up a bunch of threes, at least mm-hmm. off all. But, you know, again, given how much his context changed just in the middle of the year, I'm not as concerned about that as I might be for some other prospects.
0: Hmm. Okay. So if I can give some, con- I want to piggyback off of everything that Nick said. And kind of explain to you guys the context behind why I started to question myself with having Malachi ten. Uh, I don't remember if it was today or yet no it might have been yesterday. Uh, I was listening to the Ryan Rossillo pod and he had a uh, George Niang on the show and he was they were talking about niang's game in the league they're talking about like grant williams different guys and something that rosello said that really resonated with me and i was like oh yeah like i need to be thinking this way more was he said a lot of times we evaluate these guys in college and we forget uh or we could forget that the roles that they're playing in college aren't going to just automatically relate to the next level where they're playing the same exact role and when i when i look at when i look at branham um, I feel like with his three-point shooting and with everything that Nick just talked about, I feel like at least off the catch, it's going to be there, right? And then when we talk about off the dribble and him eventually, that, like, that blossoming blossoming and that kind of translating to the next level, I think it's going to take some time. Like you guys said, I, I'm pretty much essentially just copying what you guys are saying, except that I, I think the role that he's going to be asked to play is not necessarily, like, even the the latter half of last season um, with Ohio state, that's just not going to be there. I think regardless of what team he ends up on, I think they're going to ask him to stand in the corner a lot and he's going to be, you know, shooting, you know, off the catch and things like that. So I feel like he's going to be given the leeway and the time to develop into a more effective shooter off the dribble. Uh, But initially from day one, I I think he's going to be able to shoot it well enough is what I think.
1: Yeah. And, uh, as long as he could space the floor off the ball, I think in the range that he's at right now with his draft stock, you know, we're, we're looking in that 13, 14, 15, maybe 12 range. You have the teams like, OKC, Charlotte, Cleveland, even Atlanta, all guys who have primary on ball creators that you don't need him. As you said, to necessarily have that lead role that he had at Ohio state, he might play off of LaMelo Ball. He might play off Darius Garland. Um, he might play off Trey Young. He might play off Julius Randle at 11. Uh, so I just wanted to see your reaction there when I, I use Randle as, <laughs> as the main guy. E.J. Liddell, Julius Randle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I just
1: want to say I left feeling very good about E.J. Liddell re- re-watching yeah. these, this Ohio State tape. But...
0: But guys, did you see Julius Randall on a bike this week? Does that not interest you in terms of his uh, potential for next season?
1: I didn't see him on a bike, but I saw him in a picture with his shirt off, and he is in unbelievable shape. Just (laughs) truly, really good shape, down in (sighs) Dallas, grinding away. Dallas, you know, they got some food. They got some good food spots. I know. You know what I mean? Take the JFK tour. Go get yourself, you know, some good barbecue. You know what I mean? They got some good spots. Do you think that the general lack of athleticism, uh, if there's going to be a big time or even a small time issue translating his ability to create space where at the college level he was still taking some pretty tough shots over some of these college defenders uh, where I mean, he's going to have elite athletes guarding him at the next level. I mean, do you, mm-hmm. do you think
2: he's going to have an issue there early on kind of adjusting to, to that Nick? I mean, this is a cop out, but I think all prospects have, you know, that kind of adjustment to a certain extent. I think with Branham, I'm less concerned about that than I would be with some prospects because I really Mm -hmm. buy into his handle and his ability to create separation even without like an elite first step. You know, I'm not going to think of him as like a Jaden Hardy type, right? You know, in terms of, or even uh, Metcalf would never forgive me if I didn't mention Trey Mann as the king of the (laughs) step back. But sure. You know,
1: the kids are know, saying I... that Trey Man's got really good shin flexion, whatever yes. that means. <laughs> <There we laughs> go. What in the
0: hell does that mean?
1: I don't know. I've heard. I, I've, what? I, I've heard it thrown around and I looked it up in peer reviewed journals and, it, you know, I couldn't find it. The, but, but, the phrase has Look. been used by some. At, at some point, at some point, we didn't know that, you know, gravity was a thing or that the earth was round. So some people are just ahead of the curve. You know what I mean? Shin flexion. Ahead of the shin cool. apparently.
0: <laughs> Nick, can I just pick back off of what you said? Like, I feel like beyond... So I'm actually not as high on his handle as you are. I, I actually had some okay, concerns with his handle. Um, but the one thing I did like about him, I think he's really smart about picking his spots. So what I mean by that is he gets to his spots by being picky and smart and savvy about when to attack. Like, I thought he was really good at attacking when the defense wasn't set. Like, whether it was a pick and roll set or he's coming off, like, a drag screen or whatever. I thought he was really smart about when to attack and when not to. Um, and I thought, like, the timing and the pace that he played with was really smart. And so that's why, like, I was texting with... um with Hawks Drafner Simon a couple of days ago, and he was talking about how it's it just like he played so under control. And that's something that I really, I, I really agree with where because he's smart about when to attack and how to attack, I feel like that really mitigates the lack of the athleticism. So I actually hear you, Corey. Like I do think there is, lack of burst with him he there there is one drive though where he got right by max christie against uh, michigan state and he went up for the dunk and he didn't get high enough so (laughs) it it became one of those like i'm gonna go dunk it and then he kind of had to like drop it in because he wasn't getting high enough so i think uh those moments we'll probably see more of those moments on the next level where you're gonna wish he was a little bit more athletic but I think the savvy is there. I think the intellect is there. I think the pace that he plays with and the, um, and and he's looking for advantages and he's looking for angles. And I think he does does a really good job with that. So I think I'm not as worried, but at the same time, we're talking about the NBA. So um, those little weaknesses in your game, you're going to see that that's going to get accentuated even more on the next level. So.
1: Yeah. And you kind of brought up the finishing and, and, and the pace and what's weird about him is his pace. He He's kind of just going one gear the whole time, but he's playing with pace and he's crafty. Like there's not a whole lot of change of speed, or if there is a change of speed, it's not like a noticeable change of speed. Cause he doesn't have that quick burst. So it's, it's very much one, but he's still able to get to his spots a lot of times. Now, one of the things I do think that Ohio state bigs were excellent at shout out EJ Liddell for sure is they were doing the, uh, the Steven Adams where they seal their man by the hoop. And it basically uh, takes away the rim protector entirely because they're basically boxing out or I guess holding like post position with no intention of actually getting the ball. This is a, a trick that I use at the high school level when we run, uh zone sets to seal the middleman uh in, in different sets where you just kind of post somebody up Steven Adams really good at that or uh Gortat was really good at that so a lot of like the below the rim stuff it's it almost felt like um he just had a free layup and he doesn't really mm-hmm. need to show all that much burst.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: had really good finishing numbers. I think he showed off some really crafty finishes despite yeah. the fact that he wasn't an above the rim guy. Although he had one flush with his left hand that was really really uh, impressive at in, in one of the games, but he is a guy that I think the rim pressure stuff at the next level is something. I don't know if I want to say I'm worried about it. Cause I think he's crafty and he's got good touch around the rim, but being aggressive, putting pressure on the rim and drawing contact is something that I think is going to be a bigger adjustment for him than him creating enough space to get his shot off in the mid range is going to be.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good way of putting it. I am a little bit more worried about his ability to get to the rim at the next level. I think part of that is just because I buy into the other two levels of his three-level scoring a lot more than I buy into his ability to get to the basket and finish consistently there, but you know, again, the fact that he's, you know, an okay athlete by college standards is, you know, there's just another level that you're taking it up to when you're trying to score against guys in the NBA. So again, I am a little bit worried about his ability to get the rim. I'm not too worried about it, especially, you know, given that he does finish so effectively when he does get around the basket. But I think it's just easier for me to see the other areas of his game translating as opposed to his ability to get to the rim frequently.
0: Yeah and one thing I did want to say Corey you you referenced the uh left-handed dunk um he's pretty good going left uh which I liked Um, A lot of good left-hand finishes. Uh, He likes to drive left. Does a good job of getting to his shot, uh, you know, going left as well. So, overall, I I liked all that, but I'm with you guys. I mean, there's some real limitations with him here. And so, I I, kind of hate this. Like, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, man, do I like this guy? I don't know. But I do. I do. I do like Brandon. I absolutely do. He was, he's, what, 18, right, 19 years old. So, there's still room for growth. Corey, I think what you said about the pacing was interesting because, like, as I was watching, I felt like he was playing with, like, a little funkiness. Like, you know, some of the head fakes were good. I thought some, sometimes, you you know, that pound dribble dribble stuff, like, off the pick and roll, you know, kind of keeping the guy on your hip. I thought he did some, some of that stuff as well. And I know we're going to get into the passing and playmaking because, like, I think that's a – I don't remember who. Oh. Uh, Metcalf, Metcalf, yeah. uh, wrote about it in his Friday screener, right? And we I could think talk about We, we can talk about that now. That's cool. A good, way to do it. <laughs> so, so, you know, me doing some of my co-host duties here. I want to, want to help with the transitions, but anyway, um, I, I like some of the playmaking stuff too. Like I, I know uh, Metcalf, he highlighted like the the entry passes. Like I actually freaking loved that Metcalf talked about it because that was one of my least favorite things about watching the Knicks this year. Like the Knicks just could not. As that was give, that was what your one of your least favorite. Things I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know. But I, come on, like <laughs> one of the things that annoyed me. I know, I know. Julius had a bad season. I get it, but I also feel like our guards did a terrible job of getting the ball to him in good spots, right? Mm. And, and, and Brandon, I thought with the stuff that, you know, Metcalf was highlighting, and you see it on the tape too, he does a good job of that, right? And, and I know it's such a lost art because you don't have that many post-up guys anymore, right? I mean, other than Shangoon, right, at this point. But it's I still think it's an effective skill, and I think it's one that he's going to be able to show more of, and not just the entry passes, but pick-and-roll playmaking and all that stuff. So, um, you know, actually, Nick, why don't we just throw it over to you? What do you? What did you see in terms of his playmaking?
2: Well, I think a huge part of it, honestly, was that he was playing alongside EJ Liddell and especially that EJ Liddell was, you know, I mean, he was the primary guy on offense for them the entire season, but, you know, especially early in the year before Brandon sort of got his legs under him and, you know, he certainly had a lot of practice with passing to a very versatile pick and roll big man, you know, someone who could pop, someone who could roll, but also, you know, his ability to throw entry passes, I think is largely predicated on the fact that. I'm sure that coming into the season, right, you know, the big thing for him was like, okay, get the ball to EJ, right, get the ball to EJ, you know, I'm willing to bet that, you know, granted to say that all the guys on the Ohio State team practice that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody picked it up. But, you know, I think that playing with someone like EJ definitely helped Brandon's passing game in a whole lot of ways. And I think that post entry passes are sort of an easy entry level way to see that with him. EJ is awesome. I just can't say enough. Yeah. About yeah. It.
1: But uh the entry pass stuff, totally there. But the pick and roll stuff was was fun too. Uh I don't think that he was showing off like the you know, Luca Trey Young come off a <laughs> ball screen to the right, see the you know, weak side low man in the yeah. paint, one hand live dribble pass, hit to the yeah. weak side corner. Like, like you can't do that. Why are we even bothering? Well, you know who Uzman <laughs> can do that. Ooh. Yeah, one time out of 120. <laughs> well, you know, maybe it, it happened. Um, Malachi <laughs> Branham dunked dunked with his left hand one time, you know? Yeah, These that's are all true. things we could highlight. It happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but he was able to run basic pick and roll stuff with good feel, uh, and and what I felt like was good decision making. I think one of my favorite uh sets that they ran and it wasn't with branham even starting on ball it was kind of like um out of like a horn set like uh the point guard would kind of kick it to like ej on uh the elbow Mm -hmm. branham would start out on the block kind of pop up and then Mm -hmm. they would go into like a handoff action to try to get malachi uh like downhill to where he could pull up and knock down that little elbow jumper But because he's such a threat for that elbow jumper, you know, the big will hop, jump out at him. Uh, And if the guard was not able to get back in the play, now he's able to perfectly run like a a nice little side ball screen hitting EJ in stride at the rim. And that's the kind of stuff that I could really see working for him early on, because I think that he could find a real niche uh, as being a guy who you know, we talked about the off ball shooting. Like I think he moves pretty well off ball coming off handoffs and the fact that he can kind of pull up and has good touch in some of those shots. I think he could really take advantage of some of the pick and roll stuff without giving him like, okay, here's the ball, run a pick and roll. Because as we said, like, let's say he goes in the range in that 14 range. All of those teams already have the guy that is, here's the ball, go run, pick and roll. So for him to kind of show off a lot of his passing chops, I think those are the kind of opportunities that he's going to get early on in his career to, to do that. And that kind of stuff was really fun for me.
0: Thoughts, yeah. opinions. No. <laughs> My bad. No, I was, I was deferring to concern. Nick. You know? You're asking
2: me to have thoughts and opinions at the same time? <laughs> Come on, well.
0: No, I wanted to defer defer to Nick, our guest. So go ahead, Nick.
2: Oh, um, well, I think something that Albert said earlier, mm-hmm. I think really plays well into Malachi Branham's passing game, which is he seems to have a really good knowledge of where he wants to be and how to get there mm-hmm. on the floor. And, you know, I think that's something that also shows up very clearly in his passing of, you know, He isn't someone maybe who's going to be, you know, the best (laughs) highlight reel passer in this class, but, you know, he's someone who has a very good idea of where his teammates are and more to the point where his teammates are supposed to be on the floor at any given play. And, you know, I think that's something as well that given the sort of general skill set that he has, there are a lot of different lineup contexts that make sense for him. So, you know, even if he's not going to be someone who's going to have the ball in his hands as the primary guy, like you mentioned, you know, teams that are picking in the 14 range, they have the player who they think of as the primary on-ball guy. You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, with someone like Branham, you can rely on him to make the right reads, make the right passes. And therefore, he's someone who can be a solid, positive, contributing passer to your team, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot. That being said, you know, having him as a secondary guy running pick and rolls certainly is something that he does very well and something that could be helpful sooner rather than later, you know, even if he has the ball in his hands, only a few possessions as opposed to, you know, a lot more frequently.
0: Bingo. Bingo. Everything that Nick just said. Because once again, like going back to the role thing, right? Like if, you, if you're asking him to be a secondary, tertiary playmaker, then he can more than, he's more than competent in that area. So if we, like, I think we have to look at this as like a bonus, the cherry on top. Right. If we're going to get the mid range scoring from him and the three point shooting from him and he can do a little bit with the ball in his hands and the pick and roll and stuff, then that's what makes him a lottery pick. And I think ultimately where we're all landing on right now is I think we all see him as a lottery pick. And so I think if we start to add all these things up, then, yeah, it, it justifies that position. So I, I agree with everything Nick said.
1: Let's take a uh a little little trip to to the chat right now make sure you're uh smashing that like button uh for for the draft deck nba draft podcast uh our guy uh gregory castillo has been going ham for a personal favorite of ours at no ceilings yeah. jalen williams we're with you greg uh jalen williams is what we like to refer to as the truth uh I one of fun- his
2: wheelchair
1: a funny comment um, from earlier that, that I just want to touch on. Mino F, uh, I love it when Albert struggles with the trio investment. We
0: all love Leave that. Leave me alone, Mino We F. all love that.
1: <laughs> Cesar Ramirez, anybody else get Tim Hardaway Jr. vibes with Branham? With better playmaking, of course. Maybe not the shooter Hardaway is. Um, let's go down to Tomas. Tomas Saransky. I don't know if that's a Tomas Satoransky kind of thing oh, yeah. in there. Maybe it is Tomas Uh, Some prospects take a while to have the game slow down the way it slowed down for Branham. Very true. Very true. Um, Josh, the Pels fan. I think Ohio State's scheme hit a lot of his lack of athleticism. All good points by our listeners. Let's take a a quick break and then we are going to get into the defense. Oh boy.
2: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never
0: have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting
2: to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line
1: all right we're back and it's time to transition to the other side of the ball so albert i want to get your opinions let's talk perimeter defense
0: Okay, so let me let – me, give me a second. Let me just tap into my notes here. Okay, so what I wrote initially, uh, for me, personally, I felt the defense left me wanting a little bit more. But I, it, it, I, what I wrote out in my notes is like I felt meh about his defense, but me feeling meh and just okay and average about his defense made me feel better about him as a prospect, if that makes sense. It probably doesn't. What I'm trying to say is this, guys. Listen carefully, all right? So because I think he's going to be able to offer so much versatility as an offensive player, I can live with and be okay with him just being a mediocre defender. So if we get into why I think he's kind of a mediocre defender, like, I, you know, I want to give him his credit. Like, I think he's he uses his length pretty well at times. Um, I thought the foot speed was, like, average to below average. I didn't really see him do any of like, like the crossing of the feet that Metcalf likes to talk about a lot. I'm giving Metcalf a lot of love on our pod today, which and he I didn't don't know even, how he wouldn't even put the
1: real $10 through. We had to stick to the imaginary $10 (laughs) there. And you're, you're giving him way
0: too much love. You're right. You're right. But I, you know, if you consider all that, I just feel like, and and like, even with like his, his, um, off ball defense, like I think it came and went at times. I thought sometimes he loses focus a little bit. And then other times, like I felt like he was making the right reads and rotating at the right time and, you know, being proactive and stuff. So I think once I like got to the end of my evaluation with him, I felt very average, On him, I wasn't super down on him, nor was I super high on him. I think the good flashes and the bad flashes kind of evened out and made him a very mediocre defender for me is how I felt. I don't know if that's the best answer, but that's my answer.
1: (laughs) Nick, that's Albert's answer. Let's kick it over to you. What's your answer?
2: Well, I hope it's not a terrible answer because that's basically my answer too, is I think that he's someone who's decent, defensively he's not going to wow you on any particular play but he's also not atrocious on the defensive end he has his flashes where he looks pretty good he has his flashes where he looks like he should probably be paying a bit better attention should have a bit better of an idea where he's supposed to be you know he has a 610 wingspan with his 65 frame which is you know decent he's someone who i think at least you know guarding twos and threes he'll be okay I'm more worried about his athleticism on defense than I am on offense, but I don't think it's like limiting to the point where, you know, he's just not a good enough athlete to be able to defend at the NBA level. Like I'm definitely not there at all. I think that he's more than athletic enough to be decent, defensively at the nba level and i think that you know by year three or four he's probably going to be slightly below average to average i don't think he's ever going to be atrocious i don't think he's ever going to be you know anything special on the defensive end but i think that he's going to be good enough on the defensive end to allow his offensive game to play and i don't think he's going to be someone who's going to be a serious problem defensively at any point So this is an exciting day on the DraftDeck NBA Draft podcast.
1: I'm going to say something nice about Malachi Branham and his defense and the fact that as an offensive player, he put up really enticing percentages, smooth game. He was good at contesting shooters with his length.
2: Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see where this is. Let me see. I'm so confused. Now it's
1: it's time. (laughs) Okay. I very much believe that Malachi Branham actually is an atrocious defender. I think that he is the worst defender on the perimeter. That's possibly going to be selected definitely in the lottery and potentially in like the top 25 to 30 picks.
0: Okay.
1: And I'll, and here we go. Buckle up. First of all, Malachi Branham very much does not have that dog in him. You will see no, Uh, memes with a dog in the heart pasted under Malachi Branham's defensive film uh, on Twitter. He offers almost no resistance to the rim when guys drive. You know, one of the things we talk about with Davion, and as a Kings fan, uh, Nick, Davion is up in your shit. He is making you uncomfortable and he is playing with his chest, closing the gap so that he is going to be able to shatter you every step of the way. My guy Malachi, he is around the person, but allows them to dictate just about every single decision that happens offensively. So he's very passive. You know, the other day, uh, I guess it was on First Take, it was one of those shows, J.J. Uh, Reddick and C.J. McCollum were talking about what it feels like to be targeted uh, in an NBA basketball game Mm. and JJ said, it does not feel good, but he said, Monty Williams calls it the pigeon going after the pigeon, which JJ was Malachi Branham is the pigeon. You can target this man and get absolutely anything you want. And that could be on ball. That could be in the pick and roll. And it most certainly could be off ball. Uh, going back to he's not in your chest, he plays flat. Very rarely is he going to shade you to a side. And when he is shading you to a side, his stance is too open. So he hasn't found the middle ground to where he can recover and cut you off by forcing you. Maybe you're playing in an ice and you want to send somebody sideline. Maybe you're playing in a week. You want to send them to their weak hand. He's just open, you know, Olay defense uh, type of thing. So he's either flat. So, The player can choose whether they want to go left or right, or he is wide open, so they could just go right by him, and he doesn't have that athleticism and length to recover. Now let's talk about the pick-and-roll defense. I'll say one nice thing about him. I thought that he had a a decent understanding of the scout. So uh, against Michigan guards, uh, he went under on that due to the lack of shooting. Uh, Against Michigan State, he was fighting to go over on guys like Max Christie, Christie who could shoot the ball. So he understood the scout but he cannot fight through screens. Um, every once in a while, the six ten wingspan allows him to somewhat get back in the play. But again, and I'll bring up Davion cause he's a, a favorite of ours. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the draft. If you watch Davion attack a ball screen, he is anticipating that the screen is coming and he is stepping over early so that he can almost at times avoid the screen entirely. So, when, and Davion is when it comes to groundbound athleticism, I would almost consider him top tier. Whereas Branham is already at a speed disadvantage, and he's also at a well now I'm late, he allows him to get hit, uh, himself to get hit with just about every screen. Um when his man was the screener, which may be action that he sees more in the NBA as he's playing multiple multiple positions. That is just, uh, that's a free point almost every time. For He's got no idea, and this goes back to youth, how to you kind of uh, guard a ball screen uh, as the quote-unquote uh, big defender. Let's move to the off-ball stuff because it gets, it just keeps going. All right. His positioning, I feel like he's almost never in the right spots. So uh, let's take, for instance, against Illinois. Kofi's in the post. Um, Helps off strong corner to double the post. NBA teams, you help off strong corner, you're going to find yourself on the bench. That's a no-no almost immediately. You do not help strong corner. Now let's talk about when he's on the weak side, uh, and they're fronting Kofi. Weak side's job now is to play behind, be in position, so... You're giving the front a little bit of help and protecting the paint. Kofi is a giant, giant human being by Mm -hmm. almost any standards, but that's what is awaiting you at the NBA level. Uh, He was kind of, sort of, kind of in the position, but he didn't want to be. He was still a little bit outside the paint, maybe let's say one, one foot in, one foot out, and offered... Zero resistance on help when they were able to get the ball up over Kofi, which not even, you know, a foul to try to slow him down. Um, he doesn't play with his body. He casually reaches. So instead of sliding over to a spot on a dig, he's just relying on his length in high school. You can absolutely get away with that. You can get your hands on balls. Uh, guys are sloppy. As you go up levels, you have to commit fully uh, as a coach. That drives me absolutely bonkers when you're a guy's driving by you and instead of digging at the ball, you just kind of reach at it lazily. It's like this fake hustle thing. Makes me absolutely lose my mind. I saw that repeatedly. Uh, His head is very rarely on a swivel when he is the low man. So repeatedly he would be the guy again, he's last line of defense. He's supposed to be protecting the rim, preventing dribble penetration or a guy who's supposed to be tagging the roll. And too often did I see him just not even realize that the ball was going to be coming from the ball side because he was a little bit too focused on his man. And, that'll be the last of my uh, undressing of Malachi Branham on the defensive end. But I was left shocked, awed, and dismayed because when I really focused in on it, watching multiple games in a row, it -hmm. started becoming apparent where I started seeing trends and I did not like it. And it made me realize that my guy, EJ Liddell had a lot of work to do as a rim protector and as a defensive Mm -hmm. prospect. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that Malachi Branham is uh, helpless. And because he's very young mm-hmm. and obviously the offensive value uh, is mm-hmm. big time in in what he offers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm okay. worried that if you sure. go to a good team,
0: yeah, that that, he's going to be yeah. a pigeon. I think so. Here's the thing, Corey, I, I think first off, a big rebuttal that I want to give is that uh, compared to the two guys that you mentioned in CJ and JJ Malachi has way better measurables. And in my opinion, what else I want to say is you brought up Davion a couple of times, and I actually think that's really unfair because Davion was an upper upperclassman in, in college. Also, um, I, I feel like um, Davion, obviously, you mentioned the foot speed and all that stuff, and he had great principles and coaching, and he was there for years, right? So mm-hmm. with me, with Branham, and also you mentioned like the stuff with his stands being flat and all that stuff. I don't know, Corey, like, I feel like I hear everything that you're saying, but also my question is, why can't any of that be coached? I feel like it can be, you know, and you said that he's young and all that. And so if he's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan and you can coach that into him, if you consider that plus all the offensive skills, I, I don't feel like it's as big, as a, 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 as big of a problem in my opinion. And I feel like the guys that you compared to him were a little un- unfair in, for different reasons, right? Like I mentioned, with J.J. and C.J., those guys are smaller guys with not the best measurables. I mean, we know J.J. Red- Redick's physique, right? He wasn't really built to be an NBA defender, although he became a good one. I thought he was a really good team defender in his prime and stuff like that. But I, I just feel like with Brandon, because of the five height and the 6'10 wingspan and the fact that i i still think there were some flashes where he looked decent and with nba coaching and the fact that he's younger i think the things that you mentioned with him can be fixed is what i is is my rebuttal obviously i'm not his attorney because i don't want to be because i have questions too it's not like i said he was a great defender but yeah. just kind of you know devil devil's advocate to what you said i feel like like, you know, if they had a coach like you, Corey, who brings him in from day one, and they're like, hey, listen, buddy, maybe it's Darvin Ham. Obviously, obviously not going to be Darvin Ham because the Lakers <laughs> don't have to pick. But let's say it's some coach, defensive coach, and they bring him in. They're like, hey, kid, listen, so you can shoot the ball. That's cool. You suck on defense, right? So what we're going to do, and you, you already know who I'm thinking of and which coach would do this for him, right? Um, uh, you know, the, the guy, the, the guy tips will bring him in and be like, listen, I don't give a shit about your shooting. Don't give a rat's ass about what you can do in the mid-range. You're going to play defense for me, or you're not going to play for me at all, right? So I just feel like if you get a coach like that who brings him in with that age and that size and the frame and whatever, and also we haven't mentioned, I feel like he's going to add some muscle to that frame. I I don't like, I know his shoulders a little scrawny. I get that, but I don't know. I look at him and, and, and and the physicality that he plays with in the mid-range, I feel like there's still hope. So suddenly I want to defend Malachi Branham is what I want to do. There's always hope. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but hope okay.
1: doesn't mm-hmm. change the reality that this man was not a good defender this year. Yeah. And not that I thought that he was downright bad. Now, mm-hmm. okay, as you said, defense can be coached. Mm-hmm. However, one of the things that makes Davion great besides his measurables is the fact that he wants to play defense.
0: Okay. Is
1: is the mentality, the desire, right. And we're really just using Davion because he's a guy that we talk up as to me, he's the defensive, he's the standard as a, uh, as a perimeter defensive prospect. Um, Especially because, you know, last class was the first one that we started covering on the show. So it's a, a good theme. JJ and CJ, I kind of use as an example just because they sparked the conversation because they've been roasting okay. Stephen A. Smith uh, on the daily, All week. you know, um, and he does have good measurables. I agree with you. I think that his body is fine. I think his legs are pretty skinny and, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I think his sure body, turn, so. he's he's going to be able to put on fine weight, but it's got to be mentality. OK, and he's very far with IQ. And one thing like there is no guarantee that defense is something that you can all of a sudden just flip because here's the thing. It's getting harder next year. It is not going to be easier for him in the NBA to Um, learn defensive principles than college principles. And there are going to be some new principles that he's going to have to learn. It's going to be hard. Now it's hard for every rookie. It is. You can't. How many Herb Joneses are there very few? And that's why Herb Jones, um, was Herb Jones, right? Like that's why he got all the love that he did, but I have to really see some sure real improvements, but this is, I guess my larger point is there are, a, a there's a reason I chose Ochai Adbaji mm. as a guy in our $10 investment. Right. Because I think there is a real legitimate argument, despite the fact that Ochai is, much older as a prospect to as to why he is going to be a much more valuable player throughout his career than Branham, despite the fact that Branham early on might have more on ball creation. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Nick, I, you're probably with me that I think Oh, Chai has got a little bit more <laughs> offensive creation potential than some people want to give him credit for. Cause I've heard you talk yeah. about Oh, Chai before on podcasts.
2: Um, I've talked about it a few times
1: and you know, like Ohio state was a, you know, they were a good team, right? They were, but with two potential top 15 to 20 picks, yeah, they probably should have been a better excellent team. And I think a lot of that comes from like guys who are going to, who want to offer two-way impact. It goes a little bit to my point that I've been bringing up is like, is winning a skill? Knowing how to win, knowing how to play is obviously something that you learn early on as a player. Chai is a winning player. He understands how to win. He's been through a bunch of situations, and he offers winning intangibles. I'm not necessarily sure that Malachi Branham has the same winning intangibles as some Hmm. other guys. Now, that isn't the end-all be-all, and sometimes that could be overrated, and that's why uh, these guys typically aren't going in the top five of the draft. But I very easily could see a world that Ochai Agbaje ends up being a more valuable player than a guy like Malachi Branham. And I guess that's my overarching point, that he is so far away, in my opinion, on one side of the ball, that despite mm. the fact he has slight advantages offensively, uh, and maybe based on age, there's also an argument that Ochai is an easier fit in an NBA offense. Um, there's also that side of the argument as well. But to me, the fact that I think he's really far away, really kind of, and again, he's how Thibodeau is not going to play him. If he's making those mistakes, he's going to get pulled. Uh, And despite, like you said, what the shooting is like, and there's a lot of coaches that are going to be like that. So at some point his age might not even be a thing that you're like, well, he's still young. Cause what if he gets the Jaden Springer treatment where Jaden Springer's argument was, well, he's so young, you know, and he's got these great measurables and he played like six minutes in the NBA this year. And so really he's coming in as if if he plays next year which he's behind Tyrese Maxey and James Harden presumably uh, so I'm not sure what kind of role he'll get if he does he's basically going to be a rookie as now what would be him coming out after his sophomore year so the age thing starts to even out at a certain point a mm-hmm. little bit you know mm-hmm. i'm still in on brannon i'm not completely out cuz i think he offers legitimate offensive tools. I'm just saying, I have I've seen sprinkles of people being like, yeah, Brandon not a great defender. I think he's flat out bad. And that's just my argument. I'm not saying he's not going to get better. I think he's got to shift that mentality pretty heavily though if he wants to.
0: Nick, uh, your thoughts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um I don't think it would be an understatement to say that I'm less out on his defense than Corey is Uh, (laughs) given given Corey's recent speech. I I think that would be a fair statement to make. No, but I mean, I I get where you're coming from with all of that, certainly. And, you know, I think, I don't know, part of the weirdness for me as well is that, you know, when you're talking about these sort of winning plays argument, it's like, well, they have two top 20 guys, you know, why did they not win more? Well, The flip side of that is the Malachi Branham that we're talking about as a potential lottery pick was not the Malachi Branham that showed up in October, November, December, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, his Mm -hmm. game and the amount of opportunity that he had with the ball in his hands and the amount of responsibility that he had to the Ohio State team just changed dramatically in the middle of the season. And, you know, that I think makes it very difficult to be like, you know, okay... What what kind of player are we looking at here, right? Because it was just such a drastic jump. And I don't know. I think that just it's difficult because this is something that Metcalf and I have talked about quite a bit with Kendall Brown of why is he so exceptionally gifted at cutting on the offensive end and gets so lost anytime anyone back cuts him on the defensive end? You know, it's like part of me feels like just, <laughs> the understanding that Branham has of where he needs to be and how he needs to get there on the offensive end is the kind of thing where, you know, in theory, I'd like to think that somewhere down the road that sort of translates to his defensive knowledge of, you know, where he needs to be and how he needs to get there. But, you know, there are some players who just seem to have this sort of bifurcation of like, okay, this is offense. This is how I get to where I need to be. And then on the defensive end, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. (laughs) I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I don't know. Some of that is certainly effort, which could stand to improve. But I feel like he'll get a much better idea of defensive positioning relatively quickly in the NBA. Now, what he does with that is an entirely different question. But, you know, I feel like by, you know, end of year two, beginning of year three, he's at least going to know where he needs to be. The question is, can he get there frequently?
1: I think to quickly touch on your point about like the guys like Kendall Brown, guys maybe like Malachi who like on one side of the ball, seemingly have that high IQ and understanding of what to do, where to be, how to get there versus defense is offensively. You tend to dictate. Sure. Right. So you kind of are forcing the reactions instead of having to anticipate the reactions. So it's the, it's that kind of thing that the shift in mentality where it's like, it's simming, it's seemingly similar, but, especially with young guys you're a a lot of these guys aren't necessarily in they don't have the reps they don't get the experience you're not getting you know even if you're playing a a lot of high-level aau you're not seeing the same organized type stuff on a regular enough basis to be able to naturally anticipate but at the nba level with film and with reps you could actually build on that and maybe the that's you could see the anticipation um you know, them figuring that out and, and, and anticipating it early instead of late because mm-hmm. in the NBA, even if you're a split second late, it could result in a, a dunk, free throws, a three, whatever, a foul, something that could harm your team. But I think that he's he needs more reps. He, need, he needs more time in the batting cages swinging and, and really just how are you going to watch film and, and pick it up? I think film is a big thing. So um, and that's something typically that guys figure out as they mature and get older he's not i'm not saying he's hopeless because he's got good measurables um just just need some dog in him
0: for the record guys um uh, Corey does think he's hopeless all right so make <laughs> yeah. sure you write that in the comments and stuff
1: definitely <laughs> write in the comments tweet it out yes. uh yes. <laughs> snitch more dog treats snitch tag me don't let you know snitch every, tag him everything snitch on him <laughs> snitch tag me the whole thing <laughs> Um, hey, oh, at Malachi oh. Branham, I heard this <laughs> <voice>. <laughs> Maybe I'm the guy who sparks the change. Whoa,
0: whoa,
1: mind blown. Never thought that would happen. All right, <laughs> lastly, I'll say I think it's unfair that AJ Griffin has gotten killed for some of his defensive stuff, but Malachi Branham has not. That's all. It's my last thing because I'm, mm. I'm an AJ Griffin truther now. Truther. Uh, <laughs> What teams will give uh, Malachi Branham the best ROI? Nick, what are your what are your teams?
2: That's a good one. Um, in the range that we've been talking about, sort of end of the lottery slash middle of the first round. I think. I mean, yeah, you know, this is cheating because thirteen and fifteen are held by the same team, but. Sure. I think that both Charlotte and Cleveland could make a ton of sense for him in very different ways, actually, but I think I think those are both landing spots that could work out really well for him, so you know that thirteen to fifteen range I think both Charlotte and Cleveland could be really good landing spots, so that's I'm gonna go with Charlotte over Cleveland, but I think those are two really good potential
0: spots for him Albert give me the calves, give me the calves I, I um you know, give me the Cavs. Yeah, I, I, put him, him next to Garland. <laughs> put him next to Garland. You know, you got some defensive anchors behind you to clean up his mistakes like he got a lot of with EJ Liddell. So he's going into a similar situation. But now with NBA coaching and NBA practices and NBA regimens. And so I, I, I feel like so it, it could be a good place. To is what you're
2: saying?
0: Yeah, I guess not. Um, because <laughs> I still have this gigantic gut feeling that some idiots are going to pass on Johnny Davis and he's going to be there at 11. And my new Mm. York Knicks end up with Johnny Davis is one of my big predictions for this draft. And I hope I'm right for once in my goddamn life. Um, So I, I see the Knicks taking Davis over Malachi, but anyway, um, and also because of what Corey said before, too. Like, I, I agree with that. Like, Tibbs will not play Malachi Branham for at least four years. Like, we don't even know if Obi Toppin's going to get minutes next season. And he's already 45. So I I, I, I don't think Branham on the Knicks is the best choice for him. But uh, I'm praying every day, uh, doing everything I can to get Johnny Davis on the Knicks. So anyway, send Branham to the Cavs. And I think it gets interesting, is my take. That's a... Uh...
2: That's the also my spot, best, by the way. Second best, St. Fitz's, St. Mary's graduate to play for the Cavaliers. <laughs> <World Series. laughs> number two ain't bad.
1: Yeah, not bad at all. Number <laughs> Too two, ain't good. Bad. But I agree. I, the Cavs to me are the the number one team. I had Charlotte on my list as well because I think offensively it's like a beautiful fit with him. Uh, I think he would be a really nice complement to Lamelo on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, you know, with that second pick, hopefully they end up with a you know jalen duran or mark williams and you can kind of have that future rim protector there but cleveland like one offensively i love his fit in the backcourt with garland because garland can offer you uh you know the the ability to have him run off ball stuff but he's obviously also going to be the primary guy allowing malachi to be the secondary creator a little bit and then space the floor he's going to be able to run pick and roll with allen or mobley um And then obviously defensively, like that's a team that's huge. And for all of my defensive worries would really mask that side of the floor as they have for some of the other guards. And that's not to mention guys like Isaac Okoro on the wing who can kind of take some of the harder matchups, uh, that the Cavs might have to play on a nightly basis. So, um, I'm with you on Cleveland. I think Charlotte's interesting. And, uh, but offensively, I think he fits just about any team in the league. Uh,
2: what about defensively? I know you really buy into his
1: defense. Yeah, <laughs> Have you body. guys heard about how I feel about his defense?
2: <laughs> um,
1: Albert, it's time. Yeah. I need you to tell yeah. me this pen on Malachi Branham after uh, I just took the pen and took a hammer to it uh, a, a little mm-hmm. while ago. So I need you to, to, to turn this ship back around in a more positive way I need you to sell me this pen on Malachi Branham.
0: Here we go. I'm going to sell you guys on Malachi Branham because he's a really good basketball player and I need you to ignore all the uh, hurtful words that you heard today from, I'm just kidding. Uh, But here we go. Here we go. (laughs) So the NBA is a league where teams uh, need to be good on offense. Uh, A lot of uh, winning in the NBA happens with teams that are strong offensive teams. And the thing about Malachi Branham that's going to be interesting is he's going to be a guy who's going to offer a ton of versatility on the offensive side. Now, that's a really important thing for us to note because versatility is one of those, you know, those really important touch words, hot words, keywords in the league. Teams are looking for versatility on both ends of the floor, but especially on the offensive side, Malachi Branham is going to be a very versatile versatile offensive player whether with it's it's with his shooting in the mid-range or from three uh, we believe in his playmaking uh, as a secondary guy he's going to offer a lot of that and then defensively we have to remember that he just got out of puberty he's still learning uh many things in life and he will be a strong or maybe not strong but i think there is a clear path for him to one day become a decent defender and if we're talking about a guy who's going to offer you a ton on the offensive end of the ball one day as he fills out his frame, he learns more in the NBA, NBA coaching, NBA food, NBA everything. Uh, He's going to become a really important asset to a winning team because of how much versatility he offers offensively and how he's hopefully going to become an adequate to maybe slightly below that defender, which is more than good enough for the offensive-driven NBA is my sell you this pen.
1: You brought it home, Albert. You made us proud here on the Draft Act, NBA Draft Podcast. Uh, Nick, really fun having you on. You said a bunch of words that I couldn't understand. Um, you know, I'm more of an SAT proctor than a, an SAT taker, which I, I loved. And uh, tell the people where they could find you on the World Wide Web.
2: Wow, that's quite an outro. I'm not entirely sure what to do with that. Uh, I'm just kidding. I understood the words. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Um, I love a I love a
1: strong vocabulary in a man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, now I really don't know where to go. Uh, I'm just out. him.
2: <laughs> anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at NBAJOHNSON. And you can find my written work, of course, over at No Ceilings NBA, as well as over at Hashtag Basketball and Nets Republic. In terms of over at No Ceilings NBA, I wrote my most recent article on Darian Sebron last week, who... You know, is someone who has a little bit different of an athleticism, let's say, than a Malachi Branham does. But that was really fun to dive deep on Darian Sebron, look at his game, look at him scoring around the rim. Tons of fun. And then, you know, just general plugs for No Ceilings NBA. If you have not checked out our merch or our draft guide yet, then go to No Com. And subscribe over at No Ceilings NBA. We have a whole bunch of stuff going up there, and the draft is rapidly approaching, so there's going to be even more goodness over at No
0: Ceilings NBA.
1: Albert, where can the people find you?
0: You can find me at Alberto Gim on Twitter. Uh, Evan Wheeler and I from No Ceilings, we actually collabed on a piece uh, on uh, Dyson Daniels that's going to be dropping on Friday, which should be fun. I uh, got to talk a little bit about him. wasn't super long. wasn't formal. We just wanted to have fun and have like a little written conversation. So please check that one out. It was a real honor for me to have uh, the opportunity to get the opportunity to write with Evan. Cause Evan's a really talented writer, a guy that I think deserves more credit. Um I- not not from our website. I think all our No Ceilings guys, we know how awesome he is. But from the general public, I hope you guys, uh, through this piece, get to see how awesome a writer Evan is. So please make sure to check that one out and all the other No Ceilings stuff. We dropped a draft guide that'll make you smarter. We dropped merchandise that'll make you cooler. We drop written pieces all the time that'll make you... Uh, more emotionally sound and awesome and more whole and complete as a human being. So we're just offering holistic awesomeness at No Ceilings. So please tap in because your life will be better for it, is what I wanted to say.
1: Absolutely. The I'm really looking forward to reading that piece. Uh, the whole No Ceilings team has really been crushing it this uh, whole cycle, but we've turned it up to 11 as of late. And uh, as Nick said, we're getting really close to the draft. We're mere weeks away. We got a really cool announcement that uh, will be coming soon about our live draft stream that we're very excited for. So uh, make sure you stay locked into no ceilings TV on, on YouTube. And, uh, Make sure you stay locked into the Draft Act, NBA Draft podcast yes. by uh, rating and subscribing everywhere podcasts are available. Um, follow me at Cord Zelliba on Twitter, at No NBA. And make sure you subscribe to No It's free. You'll get all of our stuff Monday through Friday for free. Did I mention it's free? It's free. Sign up for it. No monies. Sign up for it. And if you haven't yet, again, pick up that draft guide because it's really informative. Top 58 prospects. It's pretty looking. And, uh, yeah, it's just a a dope way to prepare for the draft. Send it out to your friends. The whole thing. And uh, until next time, everyone, we are out. Thanks for rocking with us. Peace. Peace.